and we are back, folks, for another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. It's been some time since we were with you, uh, but we have uh, talked about it, talked it over, and you know, come up with a game plan for what, you know, how we are going to run the podcast during the off season. We aren't going to be absent for the entire off season. We are going to be checking in at least once a month, uh, sometimes maybe twice a month, depending on uh, if if there are things that are topical. Uh, about Michigan basketball and college basketball in general, but I just can't spend an entire offseason away from my guy, Tim McCormick. I'm Sam <laughs> Webb, your host, back with the Michigan Basketball Insider with a former Michigan basketball great, went on as a first-round draft pick in the NBA, uh, now is on the broadcast side of things for uh, for ESPN and Fox Sports, and of course, he is uh, a key figure with the NBA Players Association, and he runs the uh, the top 100 camp for the Players Association. My guy, Tim McCormick. Tim, how are you? I'm well, Sam. And, you know, w- one of the things that's really, really hit me very hard is when you love something, when you're passionate about something and it gets taken away, it really makes a strong impact. And so I, I feel like it's important to have some closure on the Big Ten tournament being canceled, on the season being canceled, no NCAA recruiting and and i miss you sam i'm really yeah, glad too, we're getting man. a chance to talk so let's have some fun yeah man it's been uh, it's there's definitely been a void uh a void with watching college basketball the tournament uh the big 10 tournament all that was missed out on our last podcast we were looking ahead to the big 10 tournament and and so i i kind of want to just reflect and, and and go back to what you heard when you heard it how you reacted just on the basketball side of things. And then just in general, uh, Tim, I mean, life as we know it has come to a to a standstill. So, you know, how things have been going for you on the home front? So the family's great. I love having them around. Uh, it's It's been so enjoyable. It's almost like being on a sabbatical. Um, but you know, I'm still able to get work done. The top 100 camp is postponed, probably canceled our draft combine has been canceled with the rookies. I'm hopeful that we'll have our rookie transition program later in the year, but it's probably going to be something more digital. So um, that, that, that the family part of it has been really good. Um, But from the closure standpoint, I've been broadcasting for a long time and that was the most surreal day that I've ever experienced. I was broadcasting for NBC the Atlantic 10 tournament at the Barclays Center. And and I was very, very closely watching Michigan because my first game was VCU and UMass starting the exact same time. And and I was going to have my iPod set up, or my iPad set up so that I could kind of keep an eye on Michigan. Thought it was a great matchup against Rutgers. I liked their second round game against Wisconsin. I really thought, that that they were finishing healthy and strong. They had won eight of 12. And then I saw their game got canceled. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like it, it makes so much sense. So why are we playing basketball games during a global pan, um, pandemic? And then our game was canceled with only four minutes left before tip-off. And, and it was just, I was just numb. I was shocked. I, I didn't know what to expect. And and this has been our new normal, which has been just been been so crazy. 
Yeah, you know, I was struck by as they, you know, that that tournament day. There are multiple. It's not just the Big Ten tournament. Multiple tournaments going on, and I was struck by how at multiple stops there were there were broadcasters like yourself, Tim, who were who were talking to players and you know the, the college players had seen you know the what had transpired in the NBA and the shutdown in the NBA and some guys not necessarily every guy but some guys are feeling uneasy about the the idea of playing and you know I was struck in that moment by hey you know what I mean here you have student athletes who who really don't have a say in 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 much in much in in college basketball um, when it comes to, you know, who who does what and when and that kind of thing. But this was one of those times where I felt like, you know what, you you have got to take into account the the, the wishes and the desires of, of the student athletes. And I felt like the administrators heard that. I, I, it was one of those one of those deals, Tim, where I felt like the the you know, the athletic directors and then the conferences were kind of leading the way. Uh, and then the NCAA kind of followed the lead. So it was kind of a bottom-up thing. The players to their coaches, their coaches to the ADs, the ADs to the conference commissioners, all the way up to the NCAA. And I thought they made the right decision in the end. Exactly. And and right before the, the game, I talked to Mike Rhodes, the, the fine coach for VCU, and he said, these games cannot be played. Mm-hmm. We're in New York City. Um, you, you, you have about 180 college basketball players that are going to be grabbing their mouth guard and sweating and they're going to be sharing the same basketball and they're going to probably drink out of the same water bottle and they're going to share a towel and you've got cheerleaders and band members and family from all of these different states that Mm -hmm. are coming together and if one person starts out as a player and, and and has the virus they're going to pass it along to everyone and everyone is going to take it back to their states. Mm-hmm. And he said, I feel horrible about playing this game. And his yeah. words were prophetic. And, and there's no question that was the right decision to cancel it. Yeah. Great. So, yeah. I, and that's the kind of perspective that was coming from, from all over kudos to, uh, you know, to the, to the folks that like, like coach Rose on the, on the ground who were listening. I mean, and I'm sure he was feeling that way anyway, but certainly listening to the players and, passing that message along and again they they made the right decision at the same time tim uh the sports side of it is trivial by comparison but but you feel so bad for for the teams that put so much into uh you know into a season i mean and then you know it's not just the season of being this you play college basketball you talk to any of these athletes you were one tim this is a lifetime thing that you have worked hard to to get to this point and to not have a postseason, you feel bad for for those guys, especially those seniors that weren't really able to cap it off. And in Michigan's case, that was that was uh, you know John Teske and, and Xavier Simpson who uh, you know weren't able in their in their senior campaigns to have their uh, you know have that that tournament finish. I'm just as you reflect upon their their careers, uh, you know, just your thoughts on. Uh, what their contributions were to Michigan, what you think of, of of their careers as the Wolverines. Both of them, a massive success story. Exactly what you're looking for. Um, two guys that walked onto the campus as boys and depart as men. Guys that have won games, 
at the highest level. They've improved. They've learned leadership. They've learned teamwork. And, and they've set themselves up to be professionals. Um, they, they've developed skill sets that will make them successful in any endeavor. And, and you know, one of the, one of the, 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 the multi-layered dilemmas that I have moving forward, and, and it relates to professional basketball, and it's not always a, you know, a good place to start, but I think that this year's NBA draft is going to be littered with the most mistakes made by NBA teams in history. Mm. And, and the reason I say that is the NCAA is a proving ground for, for elite players every year. And, and what happens if you look back every year, you've got eight to 10 guys that really show who they are by carrying their team deep into the NCAA tournament. And the NBA says, wow, I never realized he was that good. How about like a Gordon Hayward at Butler? Mm -hmm. Like, like, like he elevated his draft draft status. And he also showed us that he had star written all over him. I think about Isaiah livers, you know, I, I hope Isaiah comes back. I think he will, but, but he's the kind of guy that all of a sudden he leads his team to a big 10 tournament championship. And they're, a, a you know, a, a really, a really formidable opponent in March in the tournament. And he, you know, he leads his team to the final four and all of a sudden he's a top 10 pick. Like those are the kind of mistakes that are going to be made because these players never had an opportunity to be showcased at that level. I wish that John Teske and Xavier Simpson, I'm not saying that they're high level NBA prospects, but they deserve the chance to go into the brightest lights and show what they're capable of. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned you mentioned Isaiah Livers, and you, you got a couple of guys, uh, you know, Isaiah and Franz, who uh, at, at least are going through the process, the, the eval process with the NBA. So I'm just curious, Tim, as a, you know, as a, an avid Arden College basketball fan and watcher, uh, and, and uh, you know, a guy who's played at the highest level, you, you've scouted these guys now. What do you see as the as the readiness uh, for for both for for both guys for both Franz and and Isaiah Livers and I already heard, just heard you say you you hope that Isaiah comes back. Uh, I'm curious what you would think, you know, where you think he would be able to improve. Uh, you know, what would he be able to prove to to scouts with one more year? And the same thing with Franz. Well, with Isaiah. I believe he's an NBA player. I, I saw him at the Michigan League 25 camp that I run when he was in high school. And, and I was immediately impressed with his potential, his shooting ability, his, his defense. His, he's got a great spirit for the game. And, and he, I, I think he wanted to go to the NBA after his freshman, sophomore. Like he, that's a guy that wants to get to the NBA. And things have never fallen completely well for him so i think that's an issue um if if isaiah called said hey tim what do i need to do i would say sculpt your body nba scouts would love to see him lose 12 to 15 pounds get in the best shape of his life and and be able to continue working off the dribble mm -hmm. uh, he's he's an elite shooter there's no doubt about it but if he comes back 
and becomes first team all Big Ten, which I would think he would do, you want to go into the NBA as a lottery pick from a, a position of power and respect. If you go in undrafted or as a late second round pick, the team is not going to be totally invested in you. You probably have to be a two-way player and fight your way through the G League, and that's never an easy thing to do. So I think coming back, getting in the best shape of your life, and, and, and dominating college basketball would be a great path for him for next year. Yeah, you, you look at the durability question. You talk about getting his body in the best shape of, of his life. You know, he just, you know, he is unfortunately for him been bitten by the injury bug. Uh, and you got to believe that he would benefit uh, in the eyes of NBA scouts from having a full season. Uh, you know, a season where he's able to get through it, relatively speaking. I mean, there are going to be some bumps and bruises. You might miss a game or two. It happens. But if he can get through an entire season without missing, you know, multiple games, uh, you know, I think that that could be something that, you know, really, really helps his stock. And then to your point, Tim, to show that he can, he can be the offensive focal point of a team for a full season. I, I, I just – I think both of those things will help his stock, and it'll also help him to be back one more year uh, with with an improved Franz Wagner. I think they would make for the best wing tandem in the Big Ten. So, what about Franz? When you look at Franz, if he you know goes through the eval process, if you're telling him what would he need to work on with another year at the college level? Franz is an NBA player as well, and he just needs to build on a freshman year that that was was sensational to me unfortunate that he broke his hand early but i think that offered some benefits being able to sit back and watch um to 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 acclimate yourself slowly because he was he was michigan's best rebounder in the big 10 which is so unusual for somebody that is a little bit on the the skinny on the frail side he's going to get stronger for sure excellent rebounder the the hidden key about his game that I never realized, especially when he was at the top 100 camp, is what a cutter he is. He really is good. He's got an underrated post game. I think that the area he needs to get better at is catching, squaring up, and being able to take his man off the dribble. He was pretty good, maybe a little bit right-hand dominant last year. If he can go to his left a little bit more. And, and, and I just never had confidence in his perimeter shooting, uh, part of the problem is when you break your hand, you're immobilized for such a long period of time. I just think that he he never had his wrist strength and his confidence. That's something else that, that a full season will allow him. Yeah, it's a great point, Tim. And it's one of those things that kept trying to remind people of is he went through uh, bouts of inconsistency with his shooting this year. A, he's a freshman. And, and Tim, you've been there. I mean, it's you, you, you jump into it. That's an adjustment in and of itself uh, going from from high school to college. And in his case, going from a foreign country uh, to college here. Uh, and then on top of that, the other point that you just made, he, he broke his wrist. So, uh, you know, to me, it was totally foreseeable that he was going to have his ups and downs as a shooter. He's a better shooter than he showed this year, but started to come on later in the year. And you're right about him as a driver. I really think 
uh, that as he comes back, assuming he comes back next year, he's bigger, he's stronger, he seemed to get more comfortable attacking the basket. You're right, needs to show that he can go both ways. I want to see him, and I'm I'm interested to see if this is this will be in the arsenal for them, putting Franz Wagner in ball screen situations. I just really I, I think that he's a guy that's going to be able to ex- exploit them. I think he's a high IQ player. I'm curious to see how he'll be when it comes to you know, passing the basketball and getting others involved. But on a team next year, Tim, that looks like it's going to be limited in its off-the-bounce ability uh, with the loss of Xavier Simpson, who can be that offensive catalyst? Who can be that guy that's creating for others? Franz is a guy that I look to, to to maybe be in more of those ball screen situations and be that decision maker, that catalyst on, on offense uh, for them uh, next year. I like your point about Michigan maybe not being as good off the dribble without Xavier Simpson. But one of the things that I think will be an advantage is that a deep offensive playbook, a lot of NBA sets can can take the, the necessity of having a driver and put it within the offense. I think that there are ways you know, running guys off screens, you you can generate spacing and some of the things that dribble penetration mm-hmm. often affords you. I, I think that there are ways that that you you can you can craft a, a, a deep NBA playbook and target sets that that can make that less of a problem. But I had not thought about putting Franz in pick and roll, and I think it's a pretty darn good idea. Any other thing, Tim, and you can appreciate this, Michigan's going to be a better low post team next year. We saw the emo- the the emergence of Austin Davis this year. I, they'll know from the start of the season that you can dump the ball down into Austin Davis, and he can make some things happen. And then another thing that you called out, which gets into the next point that I want to talk about, you, from the moment Michigan got Hunter Dickinson, you can go back and check our – podcast archive Tim McCormick said Hunter Dickinson will be the starting center next year this was when there were no rumors about Colin Castleton uh leaving you could just see physically where Hunter was and we'll talk about him in the next segment but you can see physically where he was what his skill set was that between Hunter and Austin Davis they are going to be a better low post squad that'll be something they can do next year which brings us to the transfers Tim Colin Castleton uh, Dave DeJulius, were you surprised by the transfer development with either of them? Not surprised by Colin Castleton. He could see that that Austin Davis passed him by and that Hunter Dickinson is what the, he's got to be the, 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 the most respected center. What do you think? The last 20 years at Michigan, maybe more than that. Like, yeah. Oh, well, Going back Mitch, Mitch, time. Mitch. I mean, they, yeah, they looked Mitch at Mitch. Was, okay. Yeah, You're so right. yeah, okay. he would be okay. the one. <laughs> Let's move on from that <laughs> one. But, um, so I was not surprised by Colin, completely shocked by David DeJulius. And he's one of my favorite players. He's one of my favorite people. Um, and I really hate to see him go. But I think Cincinnati is a really good fit for him. He plays their style of ball. And and at Michigan, it just always seemed like he wanted to put the ball up. He wanted to get shots, and that wasn't necessarily happening. And there was a game, maybe it was Maryland, um, or maybe it was the game after uh, Xavier was suspended. There, there was a game that I, I, I really think turned the tide where, where Dave 
got off to a really good start. He, he was dominant, and then he didn't play the first 12 minutes of the second half. I think that was the, the beginning of the end. And I, um, I, I also I feel good about one thing with, with David DeJulius is that I'm all about the life experience. And for a player, he, he spent two years in Ann Arbor. He played for two excellent coaches. He played in big games. He helped his team win. From a life skill experience, going to another university, living on a different campus, making a completely whole new set of friends, like those are good things. And so I'm becoming less, it's less problematic to me when a guy leaves because I think that you can gain so many things by, by going to a new city, new environment, new college, new classes, new everything. So I, I wish, I wish both he and Colin the best of luck, really, really good kids. And they, they helped Michigan win games. Yeah, by the end of the season, I, I can't, you know, I wasn't surprised by, by either decision. Now, you couldn't have told me at the beginning of the year that either of those guys were, you know, were legit transfer candidates. But at different times of the season, uh, you know, you, you heard rumblings. I, I mean, I heard about Dave DeJulius, uh, you know, after last season, contemplating mm-hmm. transfer, but with the changing of, 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 of coaching staff, a new beginning, uh, you know, uh, you, you saw, I think, Juwan do an excellent job of of empowering those guys that play limited roles uh, in past seasons or last season uh, and showing them that, hey, there's a way for you to be a bigger contributor, Austin Davis, for instance. Right. And so, Dave, uh, you know, he found life early in the season. But it's like you said, Tim, I mean, there were games where, you know, we saw it be eight, nine minutes before he came off the bench. Uh, we saw games where maybe he didn't get as many as many shots as he would like in an ideal circumstance. And as I try to put myself uh, in his head, looking ahead, you got Eli Brooks uh, coming back. You, you certainly heard about Michigan being on the transfer market with uh, with, with guards. Uh, they eventually got Mike Smith, who we'll talk about coming up. You got Zeb Jackson coming in. Even if Dave DeJulius wins the starting job, and that was not a given, but it certainly was on the table for him. He would have had some advantages over Mike Smith, for instance, in knowing the system. He, he he's not getting thirty-five minutes a game, Tim. He's not getting Xavier Simpson minutes. He's not he's not going to get the number of shots per game as maybe he he wants. So I don't think it's about him being scared of competition. I think it may be him maybe him hunting maybe a, a bigger role, a broader opportunity, uh, one that hopefully for his sake, I wish him nothing but the best. That hoping that he finds that at Cincinnati. Dave DeJulius is not afraid of competition. We saw him go head to head with with X every day in practice, right. and and it was vicious at times. I think that the bigger story here is not Dave DeJulius looking for more minutes. I think that if we if we are introspective on Juwan Howard, where he comes from, what his mindset is as a coach. It's NBA basketball. And in the NBA, you know, if you've got a small forward that's pretty good, but he's your weak link, the NBA, they're trying to upgrade. They want to find better talent. They're always looking to make the roster stronger. Mm-hmm. And that's his mindset. And and I think that he felt like, okay, we need a point guard. Right. We, you know, Dave's more of a combo guard. Eli's more of a combo guard. We need a point guard. And I think that what happens is in the NBA, you you can sense, are you getting love from the coach and the GM 
or do you sense, uh, oh, you know, here comes another trade, <laughs> you know, um, I was traded a lot and, and I, I, I knew when it was coming. And, and I think that, I think that Dave probably saw that he wasn't getting the love and, and knew it was time to go. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, I hope that Cincinnati, I, I think, you know, he was a favorite of mine. Uh, I I'm rooting for him in Cincinnati and the same thing with uh, with Colin Castleton. I think he could really see what you saw, Tim, that you got a guy in Hunter Dickinson that physically is 250 pounds right now. You know, he's going to he's gonna be more shaped up, more physically ready to go, brings more low-post arsenal uh, to the equation. And, so, and also, as you pointed out, passed up by Austin Davis already. Uh, just was going to not be impossible uh, for him to rise to the fore at that position, but uh, you can tell that he's looking for – uh, another opportunity where maybe maybe the path is a is a little bit clearer, but a lot to get to here on the podcast. Uh, in our next segment, we will dive into now the recruiting class, the recruiting class, uh, you know, guys that will wound up being the top rated recruiting class in the Big Ten, uh, and guys that will help Michigan right away. So that's where we will go next. And so, Tim McCormick, my partner here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, it's time to dig into that recruiting class. And let's start off first with the highest rated guy in the mix, the guy that you called out. Again, I want to keep giving you credit for it because you said this guy's going to be, Sam, he's going to be a starting center next year. Uh, and that's definitely looking like the case with one Mr. Hunter Dickinson. I love his, his approach to the game. Um, very close to his high school coach, Mike Jones at DeMatha. It's a storied program. He's been mentored. He's been tutored. He's been coached hard. And he is massive in size, more skilled than Teske. A little bit different player. Teske may be a, a better pick and roll, more face up. I, I you know, I, I did have a chance to watch Hunter play a little bit on ESPN, um, you know, during, during, our, our, our break here. Um, I think that Hunter is more advanced in his post game and he and Davis will complement each other really well. Austin will be a mentor. And I, I think Austin will play some more minutes this year, but, but think about for Hunter coming in, not being really sure about college basketball to have somebody that big and strong. That's going to push you every day. If you look at the big 10, Sam Wesson, Oturu, Xavier Tillman, Matt Harms, Mike Watkins. The chances are those guys are not going to be back. Mm -hmm. And and the Big Ten, which was loaded with size and skill this year, will be down next year. And so you you could make the argument that 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 Michigan's big guys could be the best in the Big Ten. And and when when you when you're a freshman like Hunter Dickinson, what a luxury item to to get to get banged around and 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 knocked around and and shown how to play physical basketball because he's never seen anything like the Big Ten. Um, he he's going to benefit so much because the the Big Ten games will probably be easier than practice. And I, <laughs> I I liken it to when I was a freshman, I had a guy named Paul Hireman. Um, he was a senior. He was smart. He was was physical. He was skilled. But he also was not—he was not afraid to push me, and he was not afraid to give me advice. And as a young player, it really helped me a great deal because I—I 
I eventually took on that role with Roy Tarpley mm-hmm. and and showed him the things that that Paul Hireman showed me. So that's when you've got a successful program when you have that lineage and that that continuation from year to year. Yeah, great, great stuff, great perspective, uh, and a guy uh, that again I, I think physically he'll be ready to go. One of the things that we took note of over the course of his high school career, and I want to shout out the NBA Players Association Top 100 Camp because that's that's when I first saw Hunter, uh, you know, a couple of years ago uh, at the Top 100 Camp, and I was I was impressed by a couple of things, Tim, how as a as a big guy. He didn't sulk when he didn't get the basketball. He went and got it off the rim like you like to see big guys do. So, uh, you know, he was a guy whose game didn't disappear if he didn't if he didn't get the ball uh, passed to him. The other thing was, you know, he's not a face-up guy per se, but he has range. You know, I watched him hit threes at the, at the top 100 camp, saw him hit threes at, at DeMatha. I would argue, and I don't have his percentages here, but I would argue that he has better touch than – than, than John Teske. Maybe not a better pick-and-roll guy uh, than, than John Teske, but some some pick-and-pop scenarios, uh, you know, maybe. Maybe that could be something that, that we see him exploit. But I agree with you. His post-arsenal is definitely more advanced than, than, uh, than John Teske's, and that's something that, you know, Michigan uh, in, it might find a comfort zone in with Hunter and Austin Davis uh, next year, really looking forward to seeing uh, what those two can bring to the table for Michigan at that at that five spot. And remember, they still have some versatility. If you needed to get, you know, I've I've seen the questions, Tim. I've seen people say, "Well, oh, man, what if what if they face a really athletic five or or you know teams are playing small ball? You still got Brandon Johns around, right? <laughs> Absolutely. There's there's plenty of options, and and I I'm also a believer that if you if you face a smaller team, then punish them, mm-hmm. make them pay for being small. Um, you know, just because somebody goes with a small lineup doesn't mean you have to adjust. You make them adjust to you. And and one other point, when Mitch McGarry was at the top 100 camp, um, he he played with such an, an unbridled passion and, and joy of the game. And and at the top 100 camp, when Hunter Dickinson was there. I saw a little bit of that. He he enjoys competing. He likes to play, and and I am um, I, I I I find it fascinating that John Beeline was not really recruiting him, was he? It, it lightly, I, you know. I think so. So yes and no. He was looking at Hunter Dickinson at that time, but he was not a top of the board item like a Walker Kessler, who is more of a face. You know, Walker's more of a face up yes. guy. And so, you know, it it hadn't really shown up yet, John Teske, what you know, what it looks like with, with John Teske as as your, you know, as your main post guy. And I think as as we saw John Teske emerge, I think John Beeline's appreciation uh, for a prospect like Hunter Dickinson was on the rise. And, and I can say that because, it, you know, they had planned for Hunter to come in on a visit prior to. John Beeline leaving, they had a range for Hunter to come in on a visit. So he had clearly, you know, warmed up to the idea of Hunter Dickinson. And I think that had everything to do with the kind of year he had just seen John Teske have here at Michigan. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, um, I, I think that, that he is going to be 
Jawan Howard's number one project. I, I can see great growth in Hunter's game, not only from playing against Austin, but I, I think that, that Juwan is really going to enjoy, uh, you know, grabbing that, that big ball of clay and molding it into something that, 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 that can be special and unstoppable. And it's a terrific recruiting win. Let's make no mistake. Uh, you know, first I, you got to go back. You got to credit Dre Haynes, uh, who was recruiting him at Michigan to you know, put Michigan at enough of a position to to really be able to jump back in. But then Jawan Howard coming in, recruiting against the likes of of a Duke, of a Louisville that that came in, a Florida State, Notre Dame, who uh, Mike Bray is a is a Dematha guy, a Dematha alum. I mean, you know, Tim, he had to knock down some. He had to knock down some big opponents to to pull this one out. But you know what I was struck by, and you can appreciate this, Tim. Folks love Jawan Howard in D.C. I mean, they, they still <laughs> they still feel Jawan Howard. You, he he walks around the gym in D.C. and it's like that's their guy. Like we feel like him about you feel like Jawan Howard about you know about him here in Ann Arbor. They still feel like that about him uh, in D.C. from his bullets days. Well, you, you um. You have to like the fact that that Juwan is loved in Miami, Chicago, D.C., and Ann Arbor and Metro Detroit. So he's always going to have some opportunities to go back home. And you know he plays that up everywhere he goes. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Absolutely. All right, so let's switch gears into the the next guy in terms of the rankings. I'm going in order of rankings for Michigan. He's the longest-standing uh, member of the class, a guy who decided to maintain his commitment to Michigan, uh, despite the turnover in staff, uh, a combo guard originally from Ohio went down to play his final season at Montverde in Florida. Talking about Zeb Jackson, your thoughts on Zeb? Well, I um I watched Montverde play um, over the break and was a little disappointed that Zeb didn't get more run. Um, but it's it's a loaded team, and and I completely understand that he saw great competition practice and games he certainly grew up a lot being away from home in a college type of setting uh, about six foot two uh, I, I I know he's a combo guard but I do not think you're going to see him at the point a lot as a freshman I don't know if his game is quite that advanced uh, I, I I do see him as more of a shooting guard and when he was at the top 100 camp uh, really anxious to watch him play, but he had an injured foot mm-hmm. and did not play. But he looks like he's creative, solid athlete, great potential. And this is an opportunity for Howard Isley to be able to 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 show um, you know some of some of his knowledge and some of his college and NBA um, you know lessons that he learned. So I I think that. I think Zeb Jackson is a really good acquisition for Michigan. Yeah, it was tough. I was at that top 100 camp, and then, you know, past the first, you could tell he was laboring a bit past that first day. He didn't, uh, he didn't participate anymore. You saw him walking around in a, 
uh, in a boot, which was unfortunate. But I, I understood his decision uh, to to leave uh, to leave Ohio, where he's you know he's a mommy kid. And I remember, uh, you know, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Sean Patterson, Shea Patterson's dad, who's a Toledo guy. He said, man, where's this kid playing at? And I mentioned the school <laughs> and he said, man, dude, he's not, you know, he's just not going to be able to to grow his game there because he doesn't see the level of competition that maybe he sees on the AAU circuit. So, sure, he would get better in the summer, but would he really get better in, in the, in, you know, in the winter with his high school team? And so, uh, you know, from from that standpoint, I think the decision for him to go to Montverde was huge because even in practice, Tim, even in practice, you you're talking about practicing against, you know, against big time guys left and right down there uh, at Montverde. So even if he didn't get, uh, you know, great run in the games, you're in practice going against Moses Moody, who Michigan was recruiting. You're going against Cade Cunningham. In practice, you're going against big time guys, left and right, iron sharpens iron, as they say. And I think that was probably good preparation for coming to Michigan too. Yeah, it was. And if you if you go back, Mark and Marty Bodner, Gary Grant, Trey Burke, Xavier Simpson. I mean, I know I'm missing a bunch. There's a lot of good guards that have come from Ohio to play at Michigan. So I think that Zeb Jackson is the next in that list. Yeah, I want to see him. He's, you know, one of the things that's going to be a limiting factor for Tim, uh, for him, Tim, is he's so slight. Uh, you know, he he has good length at 6'2 and some change maybe, but he, he can't be more than 160 pounds, 160, 170 pounds. So he's going to have to put on some mass. I like, I think he's a good shooter, really good pull-up guy, and an explosive leaper. Uh, but can he play through contact? That'll be a graduate, you know, a, you know, a maturation process for him. And then the other part that you mentioned, Tim, growing up as a as a distributor, that's going to be a process for him as well. So in his freshman year, you know, his role probably will be, I agree, more of that that two guard, more of that shooting guard role. Uh, you know, should he earn minutes in the rotation? Time will tell on that. Uh, let's move on to the next guy in the rankings, another top hundred guy for, for Michigan, three top hundred guys in this class, but Terrence Williams, and you talk about now this guy physically ready to go physically ready to compete uh, for in college basketball. So, so I, um, I, I have not hidden my admiration for Hunter Dickinson as a, a, you know, a future star. Um, I really like Zeb Jackson's potential, but I have to be honest with you. I am more excited about Terrence Williams than the other two. Um, and I'm not saying he's going to be a better player than them, but he's my kind of guy. I, I love his approach with six sticks, maybe 210, 215. Um, I think that he has a, a great future, a dynamic future. He's going he's gonna to play against Franz and Isaiah in practice. If one of them leaves, then all of a sudden he gets featured. He's got size. He's got toughness. He's got leadership. I think he's a four-year player. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when, when you're looking at teams that, that they go deep in the tournament every year, they've got Terrence Williams-type players all throughout their roster. You know who he could play for? He's a Villanova guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he just, he just knows how to play. He's going to be tough. Um, you know, if, if there's a loose ball, he gets it. 
if there's a hot scorer on the other team, he's going to put him on the floor. He's, he, you know, he understands defenses. He's a smart guy. He's, he's a program guy. Yeah, that's what it is, Sam. He's a program guy. He, I, he's just, yeah. he's going to make you better. Yeah, I think you're, you're, I think you nailed it. He's, he's a guy that plays bigger than 6'6", 215. So a, a four by trade, but in certain situations, uh, if, if you're in a pinch and you need him to, to you know, defend a, a big man, he can do it. He defended Hunter Dickinson for for instance. Really good hands. Again, rebounds bigger than his size. He would like to he would like to be considered a wing, and so that's where his maturation. You call him a four year guy. That's where he'll mature over the four years. He he said to us when we talked to him, he said, "Look, I, I got to work on my ball handling, and that is an aspect of his game that has improved." Uh, it, it'll for him to play consistently on the wing. It'll need to improve more. Uh, his perimeter shooting has improved as well. I think that I think that by the time you get in years three and four, you know this is a guy that is a major contributor, a starting player for you at the University of Michigan. The guy that the coaches talk about with Lamar Stevens, uh, you know, with uh, Terrence Williams, is Lamar Stevens. They see that as as his upside, as his ceiling. Tim, if he's if he's Lamar Stevens in year three or four, this will have been a bigger land than you or I are even talking about it being right now. This will have been a gigantic land if he if he becomes that good. Because I was a big fan of Lamar Stevens at Penn State, but even if even short of that, even if he doesn't quite become Lamar Stevens as a scorer on the offensive end, he could still be a really you know significant contributor. For, for Michigan, and I expect he will be over the four years I expect him to be here. Yeah, I, I can remember um, Coach Steve Turner, Gonzaga prep, um, is his high school coach, and he called me and said, Tim, I, I need help getting this kid into the top 100 camp. He didn't get an invite, but he belongs there. I'm telling you, he's a winner. He's tough. He, he does all the things you want to win. And he was talking about Terrence Williams. And I'm so glad that that we were able to get him in. And and I really like what you said about Lamar Stevens, right? Kind of a mediocre three-point shooter. You don't see the range. But he can score, and his mid-range game is, is something to see. So I, I really believe that Michigan fans are going to fall in love with Terrence Williams. Yeah, and I don't want to take – you know, I don't want to take credit for the comparison. I, I like it, but that was one that came directly from – the Michigan coaching staff, they <laughs> said, hey, you know what? We see, uh, you know, that kind of being the, the comp, the, the player comparison for, for him. Again, as a as a ceiling, as an upside type of deal. Don't want to heap too much pressure upon him and say, hey, he's the next Lamar Stevens. But, uh, you know, if that's his his potential, if that's his his ceiling, if he can get there uh, by year three or four, man, you have done something uh, big time uh, at, at Michigan. All right, so another guy. And this has to be, you talk about what a treat this has to be for Juwan Howard to be able to coach your kid uh, and Jace Howard. And it's important to note to people, this is not just a nepotism. This isn't some nepotism thing. Jace Howard can play. We saw him at the top 100 camp, for instance. We've seen him at the on the AAU circuit. We've seen him uh, at, at Michigan's uh, summer camp over the years. You know, he's he's the consummate glue guy if you want a a jack of all trades type of comparison that i like 
uh, is is a kid that went to Ohio. I hate to compare him to Ohio State guy, but Jay Sean Tate is, is the kind wow. of guy is the kind of guy that he reminds me of with his activity on the defensive end. He's going to go grab some boards. He's going to be good in transition. I mean, he, just the guy who's going to do multiple things for you, maybe not the, maybe not necessarily the level of explosiveness that Jay Sean Tate had, but in the ability to play multiple roles for a team, I, I think that that's what you see with Jace Howard. So, so when I saw Jace at the top 100 camp, my my immediate reaction was, okay, he's a Mac caliber player. You could see him at Miami of Ohio or Western or Central or Ball State. And and that's not a bad thing. Um, he brings a lot of value. Number one, he keeps the Howard family really happy. Mom's happy, you know, <laughs> they can, they they uh, they get a better chance to recruit Jet Howard, his his younger brother, down the road. And, and believe me, that's important. And let me throw out one word, Josh Christopher, you know, he wanted to play with his brother. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the other thing is he's been, he's been part of a very special family, a basketball family. His potential to grow as a player is, is immense. And, and I, I think there's a very good chance that he will outproduce my early prediction of him being a Mac caliber player. Um, he probably will be around for five years. I, I don't know if he'll redshirt this year, but if I was a dad, I would redshirt my son that first year and say, son, this is a gift. You're going to walk out of here with a master's and you're going to get five years of the greatest life that, that any kid could ever dream of playing college basketball at Michigan. And and from a skill standpoint, he, he's got a long way to go, but he, he's a worker. He's a good kid. And I, I think that it's, it's pretty exciting to have him. Yeah. And that's, I think that's kind of, kind of my point. You know, he is not a lethal scorer. He's not an explosive athlete. Uh, he's not, you know, ultra quick, uh, but he's strong, but he is, he's a guy that has good athleticism. He's a guy who is a good finisher in transition. He can, he can guard multiple positions. He is the consummate glue guy. Uh, and I think there's a role for a guy like that on on any team. And, again, this is another guy, when you talk about the latter stages of his his career, uh, being a, a front-line contributor for you, I think that that is that very well. I expect that to be in Jace Howard's uh, future, kind of on the yeah. back-end, back-end production from him. Right. So, so – Prior to the Michigan Air Force football game, I went and watched Michigan's practice, and and Jason Jet were there, and and I watched Jace really closely. You know, we we spent some time together at the Top 100 camp, and and we developed a nice relationship. I I was just very curious to watch him, and when recruits come onto a campus, a lot of times they kind of sit in the background. They you know they they're a little bit shy, a little bit unsure of themselves. If you didn't know who everybody on the team was, you would have sworn that Jace was the captain of the Michigan team. (laughs) Here he is, the high school kid, but he was going around. He was introducing himself to alumni. He was messing around with the Michigan players. He was, you know, talking up the recruits, like just a big personality that that makes coming to practice every day for players and coaches 
a joy. He, he brings a lot, Sam. All right, one more guy to talk to in this class, a transfer from Columbia, a 20-plus uh, plus per game scorer for, for Columbia, and a guy that if you watch his film, and I got a chance to watch a little bit, I don't – uh, you know, I didn't watch uh, much Ivy League basketball, but when Michigan got in with a couple of guys, uh, Bryce Aiken uh, and then uh, Mike Smith, two transfer guards that they were recruiting, Aiken goes to Seton Hall, and Michigan picks up Mike Smith. And the guy that, if you watch him, Tim, very, very good in a two-man game, very good in pick-and-roll situations. So you're, you're, you lose an element. Uh, a pick and roll element with with Xavier Simpson. Uh, he's not the he's not the the quick off the bounce guy that that X was. But in a pick and roll scenario, you know, understanding pace and space, uh, this is a guy that has that coming in the door. My initial thought, and I and I and I don't want to judge players. I thought, okay, Jerron Simmons. Mm-hmm. You know, he he transferred from Ohio to Michigan. He had all Mac credentials. Everybody thought he was going to take over, and his production was just not what you have expected. Now, why? Well, Xavier Simpson was there. That That's a big issue. Um, Mike Smith is going to be a vital key for Michigan. He's small. I, I get that, and he may struggle with the size of some of the Big Ten guards. But if you're a top 10 scorer in the nation, you've got skills. He averaged, what, 22, 23 points a game at mm-hmm. the D1 level. And and I think that he is going to get a huge opportunity to make this his team. Um, he's got a really quick release on his shot. He's got good range. I, I agree with you. He looks like he's a good pick-and-roll player. And I would spend the first couple individual workouts with with he – and and Michigan's big guys playing a lot of pick and roll. I would love to see Hunter Dickinson play pick and roll basketball with him, and and that could become a really important part of Michigan's offense. Um, I I think that that Zeb Jackson, you know what what's his role going to be as a freshman? Well, there's always the possibility of injury, so he's got to he's got to gain a comfort zone early. That could be really good for Zeb Jackson and Hunter Dickinson to play a lot of pick-and-roll basketball. So um, Mike Smith might become Michigan's most important player this year. Let me say that again, most important player, because if he's really good, Michigan's going to be outstanding with Sweet 16 and, and beyond potential. If he's not good, then there's a huge hole at that position. No doubt. Uh, you know, I think you are right to point out you know, some of the potential pitfalls. You're right. He's not the biggest guy, uh, you know, much like Dave DeJulius in, in, in that way, you know, might even be a hair shorter. It's hard to tell because he has so much hair, <laughs> but, but you know, he, he's not the biggest guy. Uh, again, he doesn't have Xavier Simpson quickness uh, and that 22 plus points per game. You know, he put up a lot of shots. He got a lot of shots at, at, at Columbia, not going to get as many shots at Michigan. So how does he do with the decreased volume, that will be an adjustment for him. But on the flip side, talking about how his transition might be different than Jerron Simmons, a couple of things. You, you know this, Tim. You know, stepping in the John Beeline system was notoriously tough for point guards especially. Mm, there, was a, there was a steep learning curve for, for point guards in that offense. Now, that doesn't mean that 
that Jawan Howard's system is simple, not suggesting that at all, just really highlighting the extreme difficulty that we saw point guards, young point guards have with John Beeline for basically the entirety of his his tenure. Got a lot better when he became more ball screen heavy, more pick and roll heavy. That kind of eased the transition from some guys in the latter half of his Michigan tenure compared to the the uh, the, the first half, but still it was difficult. But here's the other thing. Even with the, you know, the NBA scheme and, and concepts uh, that, that Juwan Howard employs, one of the things that I heard from the coaching staff about Mike Smith is that he comes from a pretty sophisticated system at Columbia. So they feel like they're getting a pretty high IQ guy on top of the fact that he's a, he's a veteran guy. So a veteran guy, a high, high IQ guy that they feel like should be able to traverse the learning curve a little bit quicker than some other guys because of the system that he came from. Yeah, uh, well said for sure. And if you look at at Mike Smith's transition, Michigan, especially in the non-conference, is going to want to play fast. And it doesn't take a a huge learning curve to integrate yourself into a fast-breaking style. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, the guy that should be happiest that Mike Smith is there is Hunter Dickinson. Because now, all of a sudden, you're looking at a much better perimeter shooting team. They may not be as good off the dribble this year. But if you look at a lineup with Smith, Brooks, Livers, Wagner, that's that's a lineup that's going to spread the court mm-hmm. and create a lot of space for Hunter Dickinson and Austin Davis inside. Mm-hmm. That's great stuff, Tim. All right, so one more segment where we will talk about some of the recruiting losses and, and maybe a shift in recruiting philosophy, uh, not just at Michigan, but across the country with this uh, this new – Uh, direction that we see the G League going in. So, Tim, in our final segment here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, uh, you know, it let's talk about some of the the losses. You know, right now the class for for Michigan, the number one class in the Big Ten, tremendous first effort by Jawan Howard uh, on the heels of retaining Franz Wagner last year uh, and Cole Badgema. He comes back this year with the number one class in the Big Ten. Looks a lot like a John Beeline class in its uh, in in the the star rating of the players. Four star guys in the thirty to one hundred or one hundred twenty five range. John Beeline got a lot of those kinds of guys. Coached them up. Coached them into NBA lottery picks in some respects. Uh, but you know, Juwan Howard was not able to cap it off this time around with with the five-star cherries on top. So he was going to get those three- or four-year guys that are your bridges, your guys that perpetuate your culture and help teach your system uh, to the new players. And then he was going to have those one-and-done, two-and-done guys that you punctuate a roster with every every year or so, every year or two. He wasn't able to get those two guys in Josh Christopher and Isaiah Todd. Starting with Josh, uh, Tim, I know you and I were, were talking about him that was one that Michigan was right there for, and in the very end, he decided to stay home and play, stay on the West Coast and play with his brother. I was extremely disappointed. Uh, with Josh Christopher, you've got a Kentucky type of roster with Final Four potential, and and you know there there's going to be a lot of talking points for next year's podcast, right? If, mm-hmm. if Josh was around, but I personally didn't think he would play for Michigan for a couple of reasons. 
Um, and, and I, and I have to say, I've never met him. I did not see him play in person. He did not go to the top 100 camp. So my knowledge base is somewhat limited. Um, the first thing I spoke at length with his cousin, Nicodemus, um, he was a strength and conditioning coach at Missouri. Um, we spent time at a game at West Virginia. Um, I liked him. I, I really did. And, and he shared what a close family they have. And, and so to, to have a kid that's going to leave the, the, the spoiled, pampered weather of, of California and Arizona um, did not seem likely. The fact that his brother is at Arizona State made me think even more that he would not come to Michigan. And, and, and I also think that the coronavirus did not help Michigan. Imagine over the last you know, six weeks or whatever, he's home with his family. He's home with his brother mm-hmm. and, and close knit families are going to have the, the, the kids stay closer to home. I, I go back to my senior year in high school. I committed in April. I committed to Michigan over North Carolina. And I think there are some similarities. If you ask North Carolina and their fans, they were 100% confident I was coming to North Carolina. And I just think the longer that, that, that you spend, you spend Christmas, you, you know, you're, you're around for the McDonald's game. You, you, you know, you have a nice spring. It's just, it's hard for close knit families to have the kid go far from home. And, and, and also Arizona state, they could be favored in the PAC 12 yeah. with Josh Christopher so that he, he's going to be playing on a really good team. Yeah. You, you raise a lot of great points. I especially agree with the the point you made about the impact of, of the coronavirus first you know i think there was every reason for 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 michigan for juan howard to be confident i think that they first they did a, a, a tremendous recruiting job uh really getting in with him with his family connecting with the young man showing him what his role could be here in ann arbor i think that was something that uh that he really had a great appreciation for coming out of his his official visit and you combine that with the fact that his his brother Caleb didn't get a whole lot of run with Arizona State this year. Uh, you combine that with the fact that you know I know there were some times some some coaching decisions uh, that Bob Hurley made that that Dad wasn't a big fan of. I mean there I, there was reason to be confident about their appreciation for the difference in coaching style. Not to say that they didn't like Bob Hurley's coaching style, but I think they really appreciated Jawan's. But a couple of things happened. Number one, you have uh, you have Arizona State's point guard decide to go to the pros. That's one. Uh, number two, you have Arizona State have a much better season. Uh, that's another thing. Number three, as you mentioned with the coronavirus, Tim, I mean, you get home, uh, you know, in, in addition to – uh, you know, maybe v- taking stock of a family based on the circumstances, just the importance of family. Now you're hanging with your brother for for all that time. It, it, it maybe just intensifies that that feeling, that desire to, you know, to stick around and, and play with Big Bro. You're only going to be around for a year anyway. So I think all of those things converged to have him make the decision to stay home. Somewhat of a surprise here. Uh, I definitely believe my gut tells me that that dad gave a strong indication to Michigan that he expected 
He, he now he thought his son would, would pick Michigan. Now, in fairness to to Josh, he never silently committed to Michigan. So there was never this promise that I'm coming. Only the feeling, you know, Dad said, "Hey, I think he's coming." Now, in the in the last four or five days leading up to his decision, uh, you know, the the decision was not conveyed to Michigan. Uh, mm-hmm. This was this was not one of those scenarios where he knew, you know, two months ago what he was going to do, and he held that to himself. But in the last four or five days or so, he did know, uh, and he didn't tell Michigan. I know there are some fans that have a problem with that. I just, you know, as as much as it would have been great to know, you know, three, four, five days in advance, I just, I really don't begrudge a kid his his moment, his moment to to make his announcement and to have it be authentic to no one, have no one know exactly what he was going to do until he did it. I'm I'm not mad at that. I understand how some fans might be, uh, but I'm not. I, I wish him the best. I hope he has, uh, you know, a great career, one or however many years he's at Arizona State. Really good kid, really good family. Tough loss for Michigan, Tim, because what we were talking about about that off the dribble ability, you got yeah, Josh, you got Josh Christopher. <laughs> that's where it would, that's where it would have uh, come from, right? Yeah, I, I I had a friend ask me, um, hey, where is he going to end up? Where's Josh Christopher going to go? And I said, you know, I've got an image right now. Josh is sitting at his kitchen table with his dad and his brother and his mom. And they're playing Monopoly. And he's not coming to Michigan because he's playing Monopoly with his family. And he's filled with good thoughts. And and I, you know what, I also like the fact that he kept kept it kind of silent. Like he, nobody knew it was good drama. And, and I don't know if you knew this, Sam. The, the, the morning that I made my decision to attend Michigan, the Detroit Free Press had at the top of their sports page, Tim McCormick goes to Ohio State. Wow. And and they <laughs> they I don't know where they got that, but they put it in their paper. Somebody was very confident. And so, you know, you don't see it very often. Usually people know where a kid's going to go. Um, but Josh, kept, he kept it pretty quiet, didn't he? Wow, Tim. I, I can't believe that Tim McCormick, you know, our old Tim McCormick, my guy Tim McCormick, <laughs> he had his own moment, his own Dewey defeats Truman moment yeah. <laughs> in the Detroit News. I was the I was the Josh Christopher of the 1980s. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. So but I was so looking forward to talking to you about the the other the other five star decision for Michigan. So Isaiah Todd who had been committed to Michigan for for some time, a very intriguing guy. You're talking about a kid, 6'11", or so, uh, with ability off the bounce. Uh, you know, he could shoot threes. I wouldn't necessarily call him a three-point shooter, but he could shoot threes. He had a, he had good form on his jump shot. Just uh, a wealth of potential in that young man and decided the day after Josh Christopher committed to Arizona State decided at that point that he was going to go to the G League. Now, to be clear, he had always kept it at the four uh, with Michigan, the possibility of him going pro. Now, the the thought was, though, that he was going to go pro overseas if he went pro. Winds up going to the G League instead based on this uh, this new uh, developmental format that is being instituted now where – you know, you have this this developmental, I'll call it team that isn't necessarily a G League team, 
attend, but they'll compete against G League teams. They'll compete against foreign national teams. They'll compete against some of the USA basketball teams uh, and then have a heavy emphasis on development off the court as well. Uh, Salaries for these guys, uh, you know, $500,000 or more. This is finally, in my opinion, the first example of a true developmental aspect, a true developmental alternative for high school athletes that aren't necessarily interested in going to college for whatever reason. They can go pro here and get some development before they have to step forward and be real, real pros. Sam, I think that the G League is a positive development and it serves a real purpose. And I think it's in response to some poor leadership and a lack of innovation from the NCAA. And with with Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd um, as the first two players to bypass college for the G League, I think next year you'll have six, eight, maybe 10 players that bypass college. I think it's going to be real positive. Why? Well, the the players, they're, they're going to get a lot of special treatment. They're going to get career development off the court, nutrition, strength training. They're going to be coached by NBA coaches or former NBA coaches. I, I, I think they're going to get schooled big time. I, you know, the, the, the other guys in the G league, they're warriors. They're hungry. That they're, they're going to go after these guys like they've never seen before. And, and and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a real positive story. I don't have any problem with it at all. And it was kind of interesting because last year they were offering $125,000 and they had no takers. Right. And that, that tells me something that it might be an indictment on, on what some colleges are paying kids and (laughs) through shoe companies and agents. Like the kids said 125, I'll just go to college for that. Um, But, 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 but you, you look at the numbers like RJ Hampton and LaMelo ball played in Australia. And they've positioned themselves to be really high draft picks. Terrence Ferguson was there, what, three years ago. They get a strong shoe deal. They get physically more mature. And and their draft status has improved. So I, I think that there's a lot of positive things about this. I, I'm, I'm personally happy about it. And Isaiah Todd, man, he... You know, I think that's a guy that needs to be on a college campus and kind of eased into things. I think he's going to he's really going to have his eyes open. Yeah, I think that, you know, guys go pro for 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 different reasons. Some guys just have no desire uh, to to be in an academic setting any longer. Uh, you know, some guys are in a position where they just have the need financially to take care of mm-hmm. their families right now. Yeah, uh, but to, to have the ability here stateside for for whatever reason to to have a a you know a, a setup a system a scenario where you could get truly developed without necessarily being thrown to the wolves i i think is an opportunity that that is long overdue here stateside and as much as it benefits these young players and i i think guys that go the g league route are going to be better off Compared to the guys that go the form route, because you are, like you said, you're getting coached by NBA coaches. You're going to be playing against NBA guys or aspiring NBA guys in the G League. They're going to go at them. I mean, you are going to get seasoned in ways that foreign guys aren't. But I think this benefits the colleges too, Tim, because you you mentioned the numbers. I mean, $125,000 $125, is a lot of money. 
but it wasn't enough for guys to say, I'm going to the G League. 500,000 or more? All right, mm-hmm. now now you got guys that are saying, okay, there, there's no time for me to mince, you know, to mince words, to, to, to do something different. Those that cheat aren't cheating at that. They aren't paying 500 stacks. <laughs> you know, they aren't paying that much. Yeah, wow. So, so yep. you, you've beaten out the cheaters. And I think that, that for a college coach, it takes away the time that you have to spend on some of these guys, the time that you would have to spend recruiting guys that don't have interest in going to college. It takes away some of the cheating, not all of this doesn't alleviate cheating at the college level, but cheating with, with some guys who don't want to be in a college setting anyway. Some of them might be more susceptible to, to, to cheating schemes. And so this removes that from the, the, the table, from the plate, of these college coaches, and now you know when you're out on the recruiting trail, you aren't wasting time. When you get guys on campus, you got guys that all really want to be there because they actually have another option available to them. You're right, Sam. It eliminates some of the game playing. And I I, I completely agree with you. College isn't for everyone. I, I personally think it's a wonderful environment to grow up in and be surrounded by people your own age as you figure out how to be on your own for the first time. Um, and I believe education is critical. However, not everybody values a college education. And some people want to earn money to support their family. It certainly seems to work for baseball and hockey, and nobody complains about those systems. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe strongly, this is your life. Chase your dream. Go for it. What, 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 um, what, what, do you, what, what you get out of life is what you put into it. And if you want to take your shot, go for it. So I, I think it's a positive development. Yeah, kudos to uh, your, your, your folks there. Uh, with the Players Association, kudos to the to the uh, to the NBA. This, as I said before, I think this is long overdue, and I think that this is something that will impact in a positive way. Uh, you know, student athletes or you know potential student athletes, high school basketball players, and will benefit the NCAA as well. I think this is a win-win scenario for both sides. So, way to go! Uh, you know, folks on the NBA side of things, uh, Tim, man, I miss this, uh, you know, th- just to make it clear to folks, we are not going to be gone for the entire off season. We are going to do at least one podcast a month. We'll see how that feels. Uh, and if, if there are topics in there, we are not opposed to doing a couple of, of podcasts per month, but we, we were gone too long as it, as it is. We will not be gone that long moving forward. Promise to bring you more Michigan Basketball Insider. Tim, it was fun once again. My friend felt like we we never got off the bike, man. We got right back yeah. on and kept on pedaling. Always good talking to you. Let's do it again soon, Sam. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.